0: This is the Douglas Robbins Show.
1: Welcome, everyone. This is Douglas Robbins, your host at the Den of Discussion. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with Tim Heel. He's the podcaster of Ordinary People's Extraordinary Stories. Uh, and then he was also in the British Army for many years. So we will get into that in a minute. Tim, welcome. How are you? Well, oh, you thank, told me how you, you were Douglas. before.
0: Thank you, Douglas, for for inviting me onto your show. I'm I'm really looking forward to it. I'm, I have I'm to okay tell- today.
1: Yeah, well, Tim just told me something very horrible. A best friend of his said he's on another show with um, Thursday, uh, Thursday Thursdays, a live stream, and a best friend of his for about forty years just died yesterday. Uh, fell off of his roof cleaning his solar panels. So you never know when uh, your time is up, I guess. So uh, my heart goes out to Tim. So, but thank you so much for being on the show uh, today after that.
0: Nice. It's it's an absolute pleasure. Um, And he'd want us to carry on anyway.
1: Yeah, that's all we can do. But, uh, you know, my heart goes out to you and his family. Um, Tragic way to go. Uh, and, And again, as we discussed, you can't prepare for such a thing. No. Um, but we will carry on, Tim. So let's talk about your podcast for a minute, uh, Ordinary People's Extraordinary Stories. It's a little bit of kind of what we get into on this show. Like I said, getting into the deeper stuff of who we are, where we've come from, uh, you know, challenges we've overcome. But your show, I think, is more about the legacy people are leaving behind. Is that right?
0: Absolutely. Um, the reason it came about in the first place, I was working on Ancestry um, before lockdown and all the rest of that mm-hmm. chaos. That's- ensued the last few years and I came across my great-grandfather who was a chief stoker in the Royal Navy and lived across the harbour from where I live now Um, and he unfortunately died in 1930 and without a time machine I can't go back and have a chat with him so his story is lost yeah and then when we got into lockdown um, I, I got to thinking that well if I don't tell my story That'd be lost, also. So, I, I, I recorded 24 half an hour episodes of my life. So, any of you your listeners out there are struggling with, with insomnia, stick one of those on, uh, and it probably put you asleep in, in minutes. <laughs> It'll give but... you nightmares. Hmm. <laughs> um, and then we were still in lockdown, and I got to the end of my life story, and I thought, what do I do next? And why don't I get other people to tell their life story? So I came up with a, a, a basic format that I use. Um, I like to go in cold when I, when I interview somebody. And, I, and I'll ask them when and where they were born. I'll ask them to describe what it was like where they grew up, the schools they went to, and the education that they received. And then we'll knock that around for a bit. And I'll pull out some little gems of uh, stuff they probably forgot about decades yep. ago. Um, and then we'll move on to their work-life history. And then we'll see where the conversation takes us, but we normally focus in on a specific area of their life. Uh, and, and the whole point of it is to leave a legacy for future generations so they've got a resource to be able to, to look back at this time in history and see what ordinary people were doing with their lives. Um, we haven't got that ability uh, to look back at, at, at ordinary people's lives uh, from, from years past. The future generations will have that, and that's that's what drives yep. me to 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 do as many people as possible. And um, yesterday I recorded episode number one hundred and thirty-three. Oh, good. So, uh, and, and we're we're out to the end or oh, the middle of November at the moment. With two a week going out.
1: Yeah, you know my um, grandparents, and I, I felt the same about my grandparents. You know that older generation didn't really share a lot. Um, Mm -hmm. And, you know, you never got to know them, or at least I didn't get to know my grandparents. My grandfather died when he was 98, about 20 years ago. My grandmother was 96 or something. Uh, Both came from Eastern Europe. And, um, you know, there wasn't a lot of information and that that, those stories are lost. Um, And that's really a tragedy. And, Because we don't, we lose that legacy, we lose that connection to the past, we lose that information that they carried with them. Um, So good for you to be honoring that and bringing people's stories to light.
0: Hmm. I think, uh, I think in the future, um, I mean, I I regret, you know, we're not speaking more to to my parents. I've I've done my mother and and we've had quite long conversations. Yeah. Um, So, um, but my father died back in 2000 when I was serving in Kosovo. So I, I missed his funeral and everything um, mm. at the time. So, um, uh, But I never really, at that stage in my life, wanted to talk about stuff like that. And it's not until you get a little bit older that you realise um, what you've missed. Uh, and particularly mm. with my grandparents and stuff like that. I never really got a chance to, to speak to them about their lives. Yeah. Um, so their story's lost again. So. And, and that's what I'm trying to drive forward. And and the more people I can do, the bigger legacy that we can leave.
1: I, I agree. And, you know, we also, you know, if you ignore history, it repeats itself, obviously. And um, a lot of the gems or stories that they experienced or, or experiences they had to endure could help us possibly navigate our own lives or on a, a broader scale, handling situations that the countries are in. The world is in right now, um, and often much of history gets, you know, uh, swept under the swept under the rug, uh, and that's why it repeats itself because people ignore history, um, yeah. and therefore they repeat themselves. Um, that's so. I'm so sorry I didn't get get to see go to your father's funeral. I almost missed my mother's funeral. I showed up like an hour before. I didn't know she had died, mm-hmm. um, but. Yeah, again, again, if we had more time with them, we would have known some of the gems or some of the the nuggets that they might not have even thought were gems or nuggets, Yeah. but that we would have held on to tightly. So,
0: um, I mean, all you can do is learn from history. And if if history is recorded, then then you can't learn from it.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, you can see the big mistakes of of, of what governments and, uh, and celebrities have done, but the average person on the street um, generally doesn't get get a look in, and I think that's where the real history of life is. Yeah. Because the vast majority of people are ordinary people. They're not celebrities. They're not right. leaders of, of, of governments and stuff like that that make all the big <laughs> big cock ups, so we say.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yes. Him is British. If couldn't tell. Yeah. The cock-ups, is that what you said? Yeah, yeah. It was, it, 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 I mean, so many... I mean,
0: just, just today, a um, uh, uh, leading party has made a cock-up, I believe, and, and time will tell on that one. But um, are, are you I happy,
1: know, just to speak about contemporary issues, Boris Johnson? Oh, absolutely. you happy can, he's gone.
0: I, I can talk about anything and everything you like. Um, as for Boris Johnson, I think partly he was the orchestrator of his own downfall um with some of the some of the people that he was listening to uh, not taking the right advice at the right time and then uh, the the last the last sort of incident uh, with uh, this guy pincher um was sort of the the final cough um uh, where he he walked straight into a few knives in the back and uh, a few knives in the front as well. So he, he's, he's actually sort of, there's a few people that have been gunning after him yeah from the day, day that he, he took office. So, uh, yeah, they've been orchestrating his downfall for an awful long time. And, and unfortunately, um, the snakes in the grass got to him and, uh, um, they're, they're always then, lying
1: in wait for sure. Oh yeah, absolutely.
0: It doesn't matter. And yeah, I mean, this last couple of weeks I and've mean, we've, we've seen the skullduggery that's been going on with the, the candidates for, for the taking over the leader of the Conservative Party and they just announced the, the final two this afternoon which is um, Rishi Sunak and Liz truss um, the, the conservative MPs have, have done that and the vast majority of the Conservative Party members, don't like Richie Sunak because of uh, what he's he's done to the economy over the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. I mean, he's probably, probably screwed us over. So well, I doubt whether he will be the next leader. I think it will probably be Liz Truss. Mm-hmm. But out of the two of them, I, mean, <laughs> I don't know who's got the balls.
1: Right, right. The, you know, uh, Boris Johnson was the big... Um, kind of, if I understand it right author of of Brexit uh is that still in play or it hasn't happened it's been in play you know place for a long time it hasn't happened what's happening with that
0: well the, the the vote back in 2016 to leave the European Union was under David Cameron when right. he when he came into power he, he pledged to have a a referendum on on the European Union, whether we stay in or leave seventeen point four million people voted to leave sixteen point one million people voted to stay mm. ever since that vote the The remainers have done every single thing they can possibly do to undermine us leaving the European Union. That's why it's taken so long, yeah. The biggest mistake, the, the the single biggest mistake that they did make was to vote in Theresa May. She was a Remainer. And, and, and she just bowed down to whatever the the European Union wanted in the negotiations and really stuffed us properly. When Boris Johnson came in and, and took over, he was added a, a, a duff ball to start with. Um, and he, he's made a a bit of a, a hand-fisted job of a, of a bad deal, really, which is why we're where we are at the moment. And even even last week, uh, the leader of the opposition, Sir Keir Starmer, went to Berlin talking to the Chancellor over there to undermine mm. or, or or to say that when when he becomes Prime Minister, because he, he there's half a chance that the Labour Party May get in if there's a, an early election uh, to capitalise on on the, the chaos that's been going on with the Conservative Party at the moment. He will look at sort of a way of weaseling us back into the European Union. Although he said he's got no no um, plans to rejoin, he will certainly look at, at um, aligning us to the European single market. he will it'll, it'll be um, Rejoining uh, on a on a on a real poor basis. I mean, if we, it, it just does not bear thinking about going back into the European Union. Really,
1: a C- couple of quick questions, Tim. So, and yeah. then we can move on. Um, you know, I don't recall why Great Britain maybe thought they would be stronger outside of the EU, but now you have the Ukraine Russian, you know, war. Yeah. And obviously it's putting a lot of pressure on Europe, uh, and on, uh, you know, uh, energy, uh, and not to mention it could escalate uh, a lot of weapons going to Ukraine, etc. How has this, has this changed the thinking about, you know, Great Britain leaving the EU or any thoughts that, you know, have changed this because of this situation?
0: Um, let me just put it into perspective why why the UK decided to leave the European yeah. Union. When we first went into the European Union back in 1973-74, it, it wasn't the EU. It was the European um ECC, the European Common Market, basically. Mm-hmm. It was a trading bloc.
1: Yeah.
0: It, the reason we joined was to 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 free up trade across Europe to make it slightly easier to trade within Europe.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And that was okay. Um, and 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 we we're all for that make life a little bit easier for for exporters and importers. But then the, the it kind of developed and took on legs and and became this massive bureaucratic unelected Body of a gravy train, basically, the which became the European Union, and they inflicted every aspect on our lives, from from the the the, the law courts to the human rights to the right. trading bloc to to currency. They, there, there was a couple of countries that refused to join the the uh, the euro. Uh, the UK being one of them, um, so they, they they these non-elected bureaucrats were getting a hold on everybody's life and making everything difficult for just about everybody. And the amount of money that we were pouring into mm. uh, the European Union, and that's UK taxpayers' money. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we were, uh, I think, the 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 second or third net contributor into the European uh, economy. And then they give you some of it back uh, for projects. And then on that project, they insisted that you have a, a thing saying that it was funded by the European Union. Well, it wasn't. It was mm-hmm. funded by UK taxpayers and, and European taxpayers mm-hmm. because they don't have money. But the amount of money that they waste, just yeah. for instance, they, they they move the whole um european parliament from brussels down to strasbourg once a month for about four days costing about a million pounds yeah. just to do that a month yeah. Just just for four days down to strasbourg and then move it all back again They has got gotta like pay for it and, and the european taxpayers are paying for that yeah they've got something like 150 limousines that run around the mm. European diplomats in Brussels.
1: Yeah.
0: At a huge cost. Yeah. And and that And that's the tip the main, of the iceberg. And that's the tip of the iceberg. That, that's yeah. that's what the, what you can see.
1: Yeah. You
0: can't see the rest of the skullduggery that goes on in, in Brussels. Yeah. And, and that's why the seventeen point four million people in the mm. UK decided to leave the european Union. it was the single biggest vote in Mm -hmm. history yeah i mean over 35
1: million people yeah took part in that that vote Mm -hmm. Um, and so regarding now i mean you're still part of it sort of um but regarding the strength being connected to the eu maybe it really doesn't change anything know, a, a situation of war, uh, or this situation with w- with you know Russia and, and Ukraine, it probably hasn't really changed any positions, and maybe wouldn't really affect if there ha- if there was a war that in, in uh, that brought in the EU or Europe.
0: Um, on 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 the Ukraine front, I mean that affects us. I mean that is affected us all. Yeah, um, whether we're inside or outside Europe. It's mm-hmm. affecting us of course um, I mean for, the, for for the UK um, Boris uh, stood up and yeah. led the way on yeah. on supporting the yeah. Ukraine with, with with weapon weapon systems and stuff to, to, to uh, protect their own borders the Germans on the other hand are still buying gas and oil from yeah. the Russians mm-hmm. so pouring billions of euros into Russia, yeah. funding his, his, his war against Definitely. the rest of us. I mean, you just couldn't make that up. And, and they've relied too heavily for decades.
1: Right, uh, I think 30% uh, of their Russia. energy, yeah.
0: yeah. Yeah, probably a bit more than that. Yeah. Um, the other, the, I mean, the knock-on effect is that the Ukraine is kind of one of the main bread breadbaskets of, of the right. European Union. We we get a, a huge amount of our food stuff from mm-hmm. from the Ukraine.
1: Yeah,
0: they blocked the port of Odessa, where most of the stuff came out of. Mm-hmm. So what is coming out is having to come out on the road. Yeah. Um, so it's 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 a real mess, and it's yeah. not going to end. It's not going to end well for anybody. Yeah. And and the cost of living for everybody is going up. And, and that's I, I look at it this way:
1: the Ukraine. Stuff. Has to win, and we, we haven't given them. And I mean, they're starting to get more offensive weaponry. For the first few months, it was really defensive. But you can't win a defensive no. war. No. You know, you, you can prolong it, but you're prolonging suffering as well. Uh, and so, I, I I'm glad and I'm encouraged that many countries, the U.S., Great Britain, etc., are now giving more longer range weaponry because if if Russia prevails after all of these countries being involved, A, embarrassing to all of these countries, U.S., Great Britain, across the board. And where are we then in five years if Ukraine is not victorious? If Russia takes back these, you know, the Ukraine, Georgia, you know, all these places, it would be a huge black eye, embarrassing, and it would weaken all of us this cannot happen. The Ukraine must yeah. prevail.
0: And if he, if he does take the Ukraine, he won't stop there. No. And uh, I mean, hi, history has shown us that these type of dictators. Yeah. Just want to take more and more. Yeah. Look at uh, I mean, 200 odd years ago. Look what Napoleon did. Um, yeah. And, and he wanted to rule.
1: Yeah.
0: Rule yeah. Europe. So Donald this. Hitler,
1: let, sorry, go on, ab- absolutely. Uh, and,
0: and, and, and and it, it takes somebody to stand up to him to stop. Yeah.
1: Him. And that's I mean, the you, thing that I'm so encouraged, man. Like we, nobody had done anything. Blanc, but when he did took over Chechnya, not really, nobody really cared. Georgia, nobody really, you know, I, I'm well, we so did. encouraged that the world is saying no. So,
0: so we did do something. We we wrote some fairly strongly worded letters to the <laughs> to, to the EU. You're uh, right. To the European Union. Uh, not yeah, to the, we took out to op to UN. Yeah. yeah. Strongly worded letters went into You're right. the United Nations.
1: You're right. and Very strong. Took no notes of, um, Putin, Putin didn't back down because of that. All right, Tim, let's transition because you were in the British Army for I think much of your adult life. Yep. And you were in PSYOPs for seven deployments. And this will, will be a good transition into this. Yep. Let's start with the, the overall question. What is the difference between propaganda and PSYOPs or psychological operations?
0: Okay, psychological operations is what we do. It's um, The basic definition of psychological operations is a planned campaign against a known target audience to change an attitude and behaviour to achieve political and military ends. That's psychological operations. What propaganda is, is what the other side are doing to counteract uh, Countermeasure what we are doing, so they they produce propaganda. We produce such, propaganda.
1: such as Putin's doing, saying, "Oh, there's yeah, no absolutely. war and everything is good." And yeah, yep, yeah.
0: So I mean, my background is is with psychological operations. I, I transferred across to fifteen UK psychological operations group
1: mm-hmm. in
0: the year of nineteen ninety nine. Uh, at the early part of 1999 the when I got recruited onto the to the group the the, the CO at the time the commanding officer he said um, if you come across um, would you be prepared to deploy to a, an operation to, to operational theater yeah oh, of course I would yeah I'm <laughs> right. thinking anything more right, about, right, right. I mean, so uh, <laughs> and um, A few months in, in uh, October 1999, I found myself on the way to Kosovo. And I spent the best part of a year in Kosovo um, learning the craft, basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And then the following year in in 2001, I found myself in in Macedonia on on that 90-day operation where we were taking weapons off the National Liberation Army of uh, of Macedonia and and that's when 911 happened and 5 months later in 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 the end of January in 2002 I was flying into Kabul to <laughs> thinking what have I done to myself this time right um and then I did two further operations uh, operational tours in in Helmand province um in 2006 7 and uh, 2008 09 and in between that, I did a, a tour of Iraq. Um, so, yeah, I did seven operational tours uh, in psychological operations, and uh, I think I still hold the record for the most operational tours of anybody from the British Army hmm. on psychological operations. So, I've do got you I've
1: feel- experience at it?
0: What's that? I've got a little bit of experience at it.
1: Yes, yes. Well, I want to ask you a little bit more, and then maybe broaden that a bit. So. You you had gone, I think, uh, maybe to Kosovo, you said. You started learning. But once you got kind of knee-deep in, did you feel like it was having the effect you wanted? Did you see the effects it was having? Uh, and then that also makes me think of operational psychology or a psychological operation – is not just a military tactic right it's a political tactic it's oh, fake news it's media it's politicians so it's not limited obviously to warfare or boots on the ground it's really deployed anywhere you're trying to control or even manipulate information and point of view is that would you agree with that
0: yeah absolutely i mean it's what it what it really is, I mean, in in a broader sense, psychological operations is just marketing. Yeah, it's military marketing. it, it right. It's it's there just to to look at to change an attitude and behaviour, and that's mm-hmm. all it's there to do. It's mm-hmm. whereas advertising is is there to sell something. Yeah. Psychological operations is there to change people's attitudes and behaviour uh, for political and military
1: ends. Hmm. Did, did you need to know about local people and their habits and beliefs to have the most effective campaigns?
0: Absolutely. A large part of our pre deployment ta- training covers looking in depth at the target audience that we're looking at going into to have an effect on. Um, we spend six months prior to deploying. Um, doing what we call pre-deployment training. So we start off with, with low-level skills and drills to get our, 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 our military, uh, being an infantry soldier, bringing our military skills up to up to, to scratch to be able to do, mm-hmm. deploy out and, and to be effective, effective soldiers on the ground. If we need to, then we start looking in at the the campaign that we're, we're looking at. We look, we go into the target audience analysis. We look minute detail into the target audience we're looking at we'll start off with a with a country study we'll look at how the country is made up, the ethnic background of the, 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 the people, what sort of things um, they're influenced by what their, their, their mindset is what their allegiances are so we'll, we'll look at uh, targeting as much as we can to get as much information on the target audience that we're looking at having an effect on, so when we, we when we hit the ground, we're we working to the commander's mission to be able to affect some sort of change in that attitude and behaviour that they, that, that our political masters and the military masters, or our military commander, wants to achieve while we're there, and we come up with with campaigns to be able to do that. And the way that we do that is we we use all manner of media, whether it's print media uh, radio media, television media, social media um, uh, and any other means by being able to connect with the local population that we're
1: trying to influence and that, I and would
0: that's be how we go about it
1: I would be curious in like say an afghan Afghanistan type of situation. Something that's more tribal, uh, maybe less connected to social media, less connected to print material, um, and not really governed by one institution, right? And, you know, different factions vying. Um, obviously, a very difficult region to penetrate, talking about thousands of years old traditions. Uh with probably a great distrust of outsiders, and um, obviously America failed there, uh, Russia failed there. Um, you know, so I'm curious. Obviously, Alexander we, the Great. What's that?
0: There. Right, Alexander the Great. The British failed there, right, on two two previous I, I, Yeah.
1: Yeah, um, I didn't want to bring it up, but um, <laughs> <laughs> but. Excuse me. I would think that, you know, curiously, because that's somewhat similar to Native American tribes hundreds of years ago. It wasn't, you know, Westerners or, you know, the, uh, you know, colonial uh, leaders wanted to address them as one. Mm -hmm. Right. Who's your leader? You know, like as if they all had the same belief systems. Um, And obviously there were hundreds of, of tribes and. Um, but very different approach, I would think, in modern day uh, Afghanistan t- type of situation to a more developed nation, if if you will.
0: Well, I mean that <laughs> it, it posed a massive. I asked massive, the tough questions, Tim. Oh, this, this, this I did it. I and and it's going to be a really difficult, tough answer as well. Okay. <laughs> I mean when. When we started looking at the the Afghans, and there's there's it's a really really complicated complex people.
1: Yeah,
0: they 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 work off a, a thing called Pashto Wali, which is the the standards for what of another word that they they live to. But The way that they, the societies work, you've got villages, you've got, uh, that are loyal to one particular leader. You've got, but that, they don't always keep that loyalty. Mm. They'll change their loyalty. They'll, uh, uh, trying to get inside the psyche. Of, of of the pastor particularly was a real real challenge, trying to understand the the tribal network, trying to understand the way that they think, the way that they um, look at outsiders they They were very hospitable people they they will take you into the homes they'll give you tea they'll sit down and they'll have a chat with you they 'll give you the opportunity to to understand them um, until you upset them and then they if they turn on you then, then that 's when it goes horribly wrong mm-hmm. the, the, i think the the americans let 's move back slightly back in the the, the, the late 40s early fifties the shah uh, of Afghanistan wanted to modernize the country wanted to bring it into the 21st century you look at the the films and everything from from those early years the 50s the 60s uh, in, in Kabul particularly was a cosmopolitan um, area a big city lots of people were, were, were generating affluence though they, they were getting educated the Shah invited the, the Russians in to help build some infrastructure. Um, the problem that the that happened there was that the Russians wanted a, a a lot more influence in the country and then they started upsetting people, which is why the Mujahideen then decided that they was gonna get rid of the Russians and that's where the the, the Russians had a real real spanking for quite a few years until they were kicked out. When they got kicked out it left a bit of a void in the country because the Shah got kicked out as well and the the, the country sort of slightly fell back into old habits, that tribal sort of mm-hmm. what's the name, and there's, there's lots of tribal leaders, Dos Mohammed was one up in the north and um, so the country sort of just minced along for a bit after that in the during the eighties and then and and the nineties. Um and then and then the Taliban or, or Bin Laden got in there and had quite a bit of influence he, because the the Western world hadn't taken too much notice of Afghanistan. Mm-hmm. They were able to go in there and and, and create these training um training cells for terrorism basically
1: yeah
0: and then 9-11 happened and uh, we all know what happened for the the following 20 years from then Uh, and then what happened last year uh, with the withdrawal and and chaos
1: Mm -hmm. which was terrible uh, Yeah.
0: which was terrible Um, terribly
1: handled handled yeah
0: but I I can put my hand on my heart and say the time that I spent in Afghanistan was was some of the best times of of my life. I I Mm. really enjoyed what I was doing. I could see that we were making a difference to people's lives there, Um, particularly girls for the last 20 years. uh, Any girl under the age of 20 had unique opportunities to be able to to learn, to go yeah. to school, yeah. to get degrees, to go to universities, uh-huh. and had that freedom. Um, uh, and what happened last year really, really breaks my heart. Uh, and yeah. and 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 seeing what's going on now is is terrible. Um, but for, from 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 a psychological point of view. The campaigns that we were running, the, 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 the more understanding that we've got of, of, of the local cultures and stuff like that helped us help them. Um, but yeah. but you can't, you can't just go into a country and impose your will on the people. Mm-hmm. You need to understand what they're like uh, and how they perceive you, and that's the real tough bit. That's yeah. a real bit that you, that anybody mm-hmm. that's going in on a particularly that type of operation, although it was war fighting, it was also a a hearts and mind operation. Yeah. Without the will of the local people on your side, you're on a hiding to nowhere. And if you upset the locals then, then you've got no chance at all. Um and that's that's where the Russians yeah. went wrong. Um we were kind of on the right lines, but successive. The, the problem, the problem is because you haven't got a a, a single joined up campaign plan across the peace. You've got different units coming in, operate differently. Um, take our Royal Marines. they are they're good soldiers. They come in, they 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 look at the, the situation. They they'll take. Guidance from from the psychological guys. I mean, we briefed the guys up before they went out. The the type of places that they were going to be operating in, the type of people, how to how to look after the locals, um, and then you get the Paris go in, and they just want to uh, brass the place up and kick doors in and, and and piss people off, which happened on a couple of occasions, uh, and and yeah. then 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 the village turns against you and and then you you're on to heading into nowhere. Yeah. Um, so we we we've had some successes and we've had some failures. Um
1: Yeah. <laughs> it's usually <laughs> excuse me the leadership that fails us not not Yeah. not the guys on the ground doing what you were doing. Um Uh so l- let's move on. Thank you for for that and you know we all need to learn more. And this is what we're to go back to. We're talking about history. And, if you know, this is, you might be aware of some of the history in schools that they're trying to whitewash uh, in the U.S. right now. And, you know, this is the danger of it, right? If we don't learn from it, obviously you repeat it. Just like any, any person. If you don't learn from your own mistakes, you're going to keep doing them. Um,
0: it's the same in the U.K. at the moment. They're, they're trying to rewrite our history. Yeah. And and you cannot rewrite history. You can no. learn from history, yeah. and you can make history, but yeah. you can't rewrite it. It's yeah. happened, and they make can the have excuse- an effect on the future. Yeah, um, of course, the here and now. But you can't change what's happened, and no. you have to have to look at history <clears> and learn from it. If you yeah. don't learn from it, you'll make the same mistakes again, yeah. and, and get an idea to nowhere.
1: Yeah. And, and, you know, the, the excuse often is, well, we don't want children learning of these violent things or these, you know, uh, these nasty things that I was like, kids are resilient. They're going to learn. They're going to go, Oh yeah, I don't want to be that. But if you whitewash racism or slavery, you're going to end up with more racism, you know, because now they don't understand um, what a group has endured. So, uh So, Tim, it's so nice to speak with you. You're also not just a knowledgeable gentleman, but also hang gliding instructor, or you were, which I'm jealous because I've always wanted to, to go hang gliding. You've sailed yeah. quite a bit, Uh and then I think you even did competitive slalom skiing or something.
0: Competitive telemark.
1: Well, um, I don't. I don't know what that is. I've never
0: tele- telemark skiing is the original way of skiing. It was developed in Norway. Um, back in the last century by a guy called Solder Nordheim who uh, used a, uh, a couple of planks tied down at the toe to get around the, 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 the snow covered landscape yeah. uh, and that was developed so it's free hill skiing. Hmm. If, if I'd, I'd encourage anybody to, to put a search in for telemark skiing and have a look at um, there's a there's the FIS World Championship. you think skiing on like two by fours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's 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 it's, it's well, the 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 skis that we use nowadays are, are sort of like alpine skis. They're wasted mm-hmm. they're, They they they're yeah. good turning skis. There's a different binding that goes on there, and that's the the main difference. It's a different technique.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: People look at it and and think, wow that looks difficult, elegant and graceful but wow, that looks difficult. Mm. It's not. It's just a different turning technique. Yeah. And to watch telemark racing, um, we race on the same slopes that the, the Alpine racers race on. We come through a similar amount of gates on, on the GS and on the on the, uh, the sprint. So we're coming through sort of 40 to, to sort of 30 gates. The difference is that we have a jump to go over and you have to clear a, a distance else you get points you get a 360 degree wrap to go around. So you have to do a, a 360 degree I- into a, a banked wrap that you come wow. out of. And then you go into a skate section to finish off. Hmm. Um, and it is for, from a spectator point of view, it's a lot more fun and interest hmm. than Alpine. Okay. Um, Alpine is just blasting from top to bottom. Yeah. Um but when, Tele- when, when, you intru- yeah, when, when you introduce, you, you have to come through the gates in a, in a, in a telemark stance. So you, you've got to get down into the, into mm. the, the position to go through. If you've seen the ski jumping, how they land, that's called a telemark landing. Mm. But we, that's the way that we turn. Um, wow. So you're coming down through the gates. You're going over the jump. You're going through the, the wrap, and then you've got a skate section to finish off. And it's generally uphill. Um, so, t- 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 when you get to the bottom on the on the on the, the, the the GS, yeah, probably hanging out.
1: That's, that sounds challenging. I'll have to look. I've never even heard of Telemark, but you know, um, you know, American. Uh, what do I know? Um, so, well, tell me- a lot
0: of Americans do. Right. I don't see, so
1: that's probably why. I don't, ah. but, um, but me tell a me a give little me a bit like about that. hang gliding because I've been fascinated with that since I was a child. I've never done it. I know even the, the the ultralights. I don't know if you've ever flown an yeah, ultralight. Yeah, yeah.
0: Microlights, we call them. <clears throat> uh, done a little bit of that as well.
1: Uh, when did you get into hang gliding? I mean, what I can, can you tell us exactly about? Exactly when I
0: got into that. Um, it was October 1982. Um, the battalion, we were, we were serving in Northern Ireland at the time in Londonderry, Derry. Um, and I got a posting out of, of the battalion. To what was then the Army Hang gliding Centre. Um, they they needed a a storm and clerk um, and driver, so I had those three skills, <laughs> as, as as well as being an infantry soldier. Mm-hmm. So I got posted to this unit. hadn't got a clue what gliding was. Rocked up on the first day. Uh, met the, the 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 captain in charge of the, the the small really small team. So there was a a captain a sergeant major. Uh, a corporal and myself, mm. was the, the, the team. And, and, and the idea is that they deliver training to, it's adventurous training for for service personnel. At that time, it was for soldiers, army. Yeah. Um, to build up sort of that fear factor and, and resilience and all the rest of it, that adventure training is all about, taking people out of comfort zone. Day one, he says to me, welcome to the centre. Would you like to give hang gliding a go? What's hang gliding? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, <laughs> the following week I got loaded onto the course, and um, I, I carried on there for three years. I've been there a little over a year. Got um, gone through the uh, the pilot scheme, did the instructors course, learned to be an instructor, and then I, I used to go out and help out and instruct on the, on the on the courses as they came through. And I did that for three years, and mm. uh, we went off on seven, several expeditions and competitions. So wow. We went to Italy. We went to Spain flying. Mm. We went to Scotland. We went. Uh, I mean, we were all over sort of South Wales, where main where the centre was actually uh, mm-hmm. located. So it was a lot of fun.
1: Well, one day I will. I will do it. One day I will do it. Well, Tim, uh, so. So Tim Heal, where can people find you, Tim? You have a website or?
0: Yeah, I've kind of got a website. Um, if if you, if you just type in a search for the Tim Hill podcasts, ordinary people's extraordinary stories, it will come up in, in, in a Google search and I'm on all the, the podcast platforms. If you're going to YouTube, do the same there. Uh, you'll come up on my YouTube channel and, um, there's there's over 200 videos of um, all sorts on there. Lots of recently, there's lots of my podcasts are on there. The people that I've interviewed. Um, there's some sailing stuff on there. There's a bit of rugby stuff on there. There's bits and pieces on there that I've done. There's a few rants on there. When when it when when my my victims dried up a little bit at the back end of last year, um, I, to keep the channel going, keep sort of putting out content every week. Um, I, I did a Thursday Thursday sort of live sp- or or rant, so <laughs> I put those up. Uh, this year I've been really fortunate. I got onto to, to Podmatch, which has given me an ex- inexhaustible um, stream of victims to to interview to, <laughs> right. to leave a legacy for their lives. And um, because I've got so many in the bag at the moment, I've decided that it, it's time to. I should go and guest on other people's podcasts. So, yeah, which is why I'm on your podcast today.
1: Yes, and Podmatch yeah. is is so great. If for any anyone yeah. wants to Podmatch or be on shows, Podmatch is a, a wonderful, uh, wonderful, wonderful
0: website. Wonderful resource
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so it's Tim Heal H E A yeah. L E. got to get that extra E in there. Um, man of the world. It's been such a pleasure speaking with you today.
0: No, I've I've already enjoyed it. Hopefully, uh, I'll give you a little bit of incitement, a little bit of uh, an eye opener into what goes on this side of the pond.
1: Yeah, no, and, and, you know, again, it's just, this is, you know, we're always trying to get more in-depth because, you know, if you look at the news, it's the same news. They call it a 24-7 news cycle, but it's the same news. They're running through all day long, little snippets for 20 seconds. They don't get in-depth about the whys and where's and,
0: and what, and an awful lot of that, uh, that is biased propaganda.
1: Yes, the uh, uh, psyops. Yes.
0: Yeah, a lot of lot of what the, the the news is putting out is 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 biased propaganda. Well, it's can, marketing, and they're at selling the product. Some of the stories that they're pushing out, it, it it's just yeah. beggars belief. Some of the the, the the dross that they're they're trying to convince people. Uh, during lockdown, I mean, look at that. I mean, they started off nobody had to, to, to wear masks, and, yeah. and until until somebody decided, hang on a minute, we can make some money out of this. Everybody yeah. should put a mask on, uh, and so they go out contracts left, right, and Chelsea for people to produce billions of, of these these masks, and, and most of the packets. If you read on it, it says um, not suitable against airborne viruses.
1: Hmm.
0: <laughs> and then, and then they're wanting you to put it to stop an airborne virus, or they're saying you you have to have a face covering or some sort, put some cloth over your face. Yeah, that's not going to stop anything, is it?
1: <laughs> so. But but you're right. I mean, the, the news is is it yeah. there's might be some information in it, but it is can be biased and obviously is selling something because they want market shares. You know,
0: absolutely. And there's so much um,
1: competition now. Anyway,
0: and you, if you want to know uh, what's really happening, follow the money. See who's making all the money, and you know who's got the influence and who's got the agenda.
1: Always follow the money. Tim, you have a great day. Been a pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. you. Be well. Thank you
0: for listening to The Douglas Robbins Show. To find out more about Douglas and his books, check out DouglasRobbinsAuthor.com.